KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Just a couple of weeks ago, Yevgeny Prigozhin, chief of the Russian paramilitary group, the Wagner Group, led a rebellion against Russia's military leadership. It all began late Friday evening when Prigozhin suddenly announces his troops are crossing the border back into Russia in a march against military leaders. By Saturday morning, Prigozhin says his fighters have taken key military headquarters and an airfield in the city of Rostov-on-Don. Prigozhin then turned his Wagner forces to march towards Moscow. Now that was on Saturday, June 24th, but he suddenly halted soon after. The Kremlin now says that Prigozhin met with Russian President Vladimir Putin after the rebellion and that they've struck a deal, but no one else has actually seen Prigozhin since that march. It's a really great question. Is he alive or is he dead? I I don't know, honestly. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KW News Radio In Depth, we turn once again to Dr. Melissa Chekars and Dr. Lisa Baglioni of St. Joseph's University, who have been helping us understand the war between Russia and Ukraine over the past year and a half. This time, we asked them to break down this rebellion, where things stand now, and what effects it could have both politically in Russia and for the war in Ukraine. So, so much to unpack here. Let's kind of, as we are recording this on Monday, July 10th, Melissa, how would you kind of characterize what the situation is in Russia right now? Well, it is definitely one of confusion. Um, So today, Putin's um, spokesperson, Peskov, uh, announced that Putin had actually met with Prigozhin a few days after the rebellion. He met with him and 35 of his commanders. Uh, and they had had a conversation about the rebellion where they explained to Putin what we, what their intention was with the rebellion. And then Putin sort of um, forgave them or began to work out this deal with Lukashenko. But at the moment, what's most confusing is that no one can confirm actually having seen Prigozhin since the rebellion, really since the evening of the 24th of June. Um, so I think right now the big question is, it's where is Prigozhin? <laughs> Lisa, how would you characterize what happened that day in June? Would you call it a coup attempt? Would you call it just an uprising, a misunderstanding? Like, how would you, at this point, with what we know, how would you characterize what happened? Yes, well, it looks like Prigozhin was not trying to unseat Putin. What he was trying to do was unseat the Minister of Defense and the Chief of the General Staff. So that is uh, Defense Minister Shoigu and General Gerasimov. And he, the anger and this, the need to act was provoked by this decision out of the defense ministry that it was taking over, that it was forcing the Wagner fighters to sign contracts with the defense ministry. And so to stop that, he decides to take this march for justice to Moscow. Now, it's amazing to think that Putin would not have seen this as, as a challenge, and certainly, by all accounts, he has seen this as a challenge, and he was not ready to give up. He has not been ready so far to give up on Shoigu and Gerasimov, and now uh, to do so in the immediate aftermath of this march uh, seems highly unlikely, but um, there are internal, there are internal power struggles about 
what Prigozhin and Wagner were going to be able to do in the future uh, that provoked this, and as well as this anger about the way the war is being conducted. So, Melissa, you mentioned that we haven't seen Prigozhin. Is this a situation where it's going to be some tragic fall out of a 26-story window or, you know, something like that, which seems to, and no one can connect the dots, seems to happen to people who run afoul of, of Vladimir Putin? There was talk he was going to Belarus, and that seemed kind of weird. And, you know, what do you think is next for him and for the group? That's a really good question that we're all wondering, right? So I would say it's really fascinating. The rebellion takes place on the 23rd and the 24th of June. On the evening of the 24th, Lukashenko, the president of Belarus, the dictator of Belarus, um, somehow negotiates a way for Wagner, for um, Prigozhin to, and the Wagner fighters to go to Belarus. So then there's this military base that's being prepared. That We know that his plane flew there, but we don't have any evidence that he actually went to Belarus. Then we find out that, no, actually, he's in Moscow, St. Petersburg, back and forth. Um, we see this raid on television. So now the Russian propaganda machine is showing us pictures of them raiding his house with all of lots of wigs and disguises and money and passports. And then, but we're still, people keep saying, oh, he's alive. Lukashenko says he's alive. The Kremlin says, we don't, we're not keeping track of him, which is of course false. Everyone, if, if he's alive, they're keeping track of him. Um, and then today's announcement that actually Putin had met a few days after the rebellion with him and had basically forgiven him and said that he would continue to employ him and the Wagner um, group in Russia's actions abroad. So it's a really great question. Is he alive or is he dead? Nobody knows right now. Um, I I don't know, honestly. And I think exactly like you say, he could end up dead or perhaps he'll survive this scandal. But it's been now a while. It's been a number of days. Whereas so uh, Sergei Shoigu, the minister of defense, as Lisa mentioned, um, and Gerasimov, Gerasimov, the, um, the general chief of staff, those two have appeared in public. And and there was a moment there where I think a lot of people were thinking there was going to be a great purge where Putin was going to purge all sorts of military leaders. Um, But that really hasn't happened. Where Prigozhin is, is the big question mark. And Lisa, the the idea that this news comes out that they supposedly met five days afterwards, and is the idea here to kind of package this as this was not that big a deal. And these may have just been some, some people that got the wrong idea, but now we forgive them and it's fine. Is it, is it designed to try to package this as Putin still in charge and we've got our hands around everything? My guess is Rigozhin made some really strong criticisms against the ministry of defense and the way the war is being conducted. He blamed them for providing Putin and Russia the wrong information about the nature of the challenge in Ukraine in February of 2022 uh, and the threat that Ukraine uh, posed. And so my guess is that this was a way for Putin, yes, to save some faith and in doing so to talk to, to hear out 
uh, the concerns of Prigozhin and its commanders and to paper over the really explosive kinds of comments that he made while maintaining Shoigu and Gerasimov in their positions for the short run at least. And the other big question, the other big where is he, is General Serovikin, who had been, so Gerasimov was running the war until I think it's about September, and then uh, Serovikin came in in September and ran the war for another few months, and then he was replaced. And from what I have read, Serovikin was much more aware that they had to be on the defensive and that they had to just hold what what they had. Uh, but Gerasimov, from what I understand, was telling Putin, no, we can we can take more. Uh, but most, you know, the, the, the military folks believe that Serovikin would have had the better approach to saving troops and saving Russian Russian resources, but not necessarily grabbing more territory. So Melissa, Lisa mentioned Prigozhin had said a lot of things that kind of popped a lot of balloons as far as what the war was about, how it was going and stuff like that. Do we have any indication whether those have landed with the Russian people? Because this isn't coming from the West. This is coming from someone who, it seems my understanding, has a lot of standing with the average Russian. So do we have any idea if these move the needle at all with the Russian public? Well, I think that there is certainly great criticism of how this war is being conducted um, in for many different people and in many different ways. It just is impossible because Russia government has such a control on the media. So we know there's these military bloggers, how much influence they have. It's, it's always really kind of hard to tell. Um, but I think that the criticisms that he gave were pretty legitimate criticisms uh, that, you know, the beginning of the war went very badly. And Prigozhin has been criticizing Sergei Shoigu, the minister of defense, um, for a very long time about that. And it, their feud even goes back earlier, back into Russia's involvement in Syria, where Prigozhin had said things that Sergei Shoigu was using outdated Soviet you know, military methods. So this goes back a, a long ways. I think that it came to a head really with the Battle of Bakhmut, so which Russia claims that they won. And then as Wagner was retreating, Prigozhin claims that the Russian regular military forces assaulted uh, Wagner forces and that they mined the retreat route. Um, so those are pretty serious allegations. And I think that what we saw in Rostov on Don, where a lot of people came out um, and rallied around Prigozhin, I think people are looking for a way to criticize what's happening. And Prigozhin offered for a very brief moment a way to maybe do that. Um, but as we know, in the end, this fizzled out. So this could have been a way for more people to criticize the way the war has been carried out, um, but it didn't really go that route. And I think the thing about Wagner, as we know, is that Wagner, of course, has been much more successful um, than than the regular military troops. So that's just a fact. And that's going to cause tension um, with those who are in charge. But nevertheless, if we look at what's happened, those folks are still in charge. Um, and I think there's something sort of interesting, too, if we think about kind of the backgrounds of Gerasimov and Sarah. Shoigu. These, they're men a little bit more like Putin. They had government positions in the Soviet times. They were members of the Communist Party. Then in the 90s, they continued to work through government. Um, and maybe they're corrupt and they've amassed wide fortunes, but they nevertheless have always had a government position. Whereas Prigozhin really is an outsider from that 
path, even though he's the same age, I think, as Sergei Shoigu, um, he's he's had a different path that's been one of a criminal. Um, he's had, you know, murky business dealings. He's never actually held an official position in the Russian government. Um, so he could be someone who could take a fall. I think what's what's difficult is, is to untangle him from the businesses that he owns. So we know he owns Wagner. He owns the Concord Catering Company that caters the food for the military, as well as things like the Moscow Public schools. Um, and then he also has come out and admitted that he knows the Russian internet agency, which is um, the one that meddled in, in the, in the election in the United States in 2016. Um, so I think it's, 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 there's, there's just so many questions that are unanswered here. Another question I had was we mentioned earlier, the, the dictator out of Belarus, Lukashenko, who after, when this started to hit the fan, all of a sudden he kind of emerged as this head of state who was putting an end to this. And it seems to me, I don't claim to know much about him, but in reading about him, he has been much more someone who just parrots whatever Putin wants. And it seemed like this odd juxtaposition where this is the guy that's sweeping in to try to save the day. Lisa, what do we kind of draw from this? Is he some sort of a cutout that Putin's using to try to smooth over? Like, what do you see as his role in this? Very interesting. So Lukashenko has been an elected president uh, since 1994. He most recently won an election in 2020. And I'm going to put that in quotes. So you have to realize that, that the system in which he has won has been highly, highly irregular. Uh, in the last election, first he disqualified the person who would have been very likely to beat him if it had been free and fair. He disqualified him and, and then the, the person's wife ran. Independent observers believe she, she won. And then there was a, a big demonstration for her for months, for weeks, and, and, and a terrible crackdown. Lots of violence. And the Russians helped in that. And the Russians have always helped in that. So in many ways, Lukashenko has often been in, he's been so beholden to Putin, especially since August of 2020. Now, looking at where we are in late June of 2023, uh, it's interesting because somebody like Putin, he needs a way out, right? But he's a leader with centralized power. He doesn't have a successor designated officially. And he doesn't want one. He doesn't want anybody to appear to be the next person who could lead Russia. So in many ways, Lukashenko is the perfect solution for Putin to swoop in and be the negotiator uh, because he doesn't represent a threat to Putin domestically. Like, let's just imagine that Medvedev, the former prime minister, had been given that role. Well, that might make Medvedev look like an alternative to Putin, a statesman. Putin doesn't want, can't tolerate that. If Medvedev had done that, I think he would be worried about what was in his tea next. But it does turn the tables. And we have no idea. I mean, again, as Melissa said, we don't know where he goes and is. We don't know whether he really is going to go to Belarus, whether Wagner is really going, or parts of it are going to go to Belarus. And if that were the case, like, is that a threat to Lukashenko? 
Is that a way for Putin to get his claws? You know, there have been talks about um, the unity of Belarus and Russia. Or is this a tool for Lukashenko? I, I don't know, but I do think on the surface, it, it's, a, it's a savvy move by both leaders. And now I don't know how it's going to play out. We need to take a break. We will have more with St. Joseph's University's Dr. Melissa Chekars and Dr. Lisa Bellioni right after this. This is KYW News Radio In-Depth. And we are back on KYW News Radio In-Depth, continuing our conversation about the situation in Russia with Dr. Melissa Chekars and Dr. Lisa Bellioni of St. Joseph's University. So overall, I think it's hard to argue that this didn't weaken Putin, you know, but I'll ask both of you, and I'll start with you, Melissa, to to what degree did this weaken Vladimir Putin? And and I think there's weakened internally, there's weakened on the world stage, and there's also weakened within the context of the war in Ukraine. Like, can you kind of quickly on all those fronts describe how you think this has affected his power? Well, I think that in some sense, it's allowed him to make sure that the people around him are continuing to confirm their loyalty to him. So here's this moment where there's this rebellion, this march on Moscow. This is a moment where you know people are kind of showing their cards. Are you supporting Putin or are you going to jump ship and support the other guy? And what happened is people all supported Putin. Nobody came out and said, you know, no high ranking official came out and said, I support Prigozhin. So in some sense, it's actually helped to back, give, give Putin a great backing from the people that he needs this from. These are the, the oligarchs and, and powerful, you know, government governors of regions and various other things. Um, I think that while, of course, it shows some weakness, that sort of thing just doesn't happen. You don't have a, a, a rebellion in the middle of your country. This is just, it's impossible to fathom. And it, it has, in a strange way, Putin's desire to just sort of let it fizzle out and <laughs> disappear has in many ways, I think, worked. Um, but what's underneath there is, again, just a country that's filled with a bunch of sort of strong men who have to constantly share their loyalty to Putin. And yes, that is that is inherently somewhat weak. Lisa? I think that the way that ordinary citizens reacted to Rigozhin, I didn't necessarily hear... I heard silence in these very top-down systems. You don't want to stick your neck out. And so we know that people hide their true feelings, both on the elite level and on the citizen level. Uh, So I see Putin as as very weakened, losing the, the Wagner fighters, and if he loses these commanders, I mean, this is like the big question. They were more successful than the regular Russian forces. So if we, if he's lost them, that could put more pressure to have another mobilization, which is going to have implications domestically. And I'm not sure about where those commanders are going to go. This is a much weaker Putin, I think he is going to want more demonstrations of of loyalty, which will be interesting to watch. And Melissa, I want to kind of pivot now to the the war and what this means. 
my knee jerk is that this is all good news for Ukraine because if Russian forces are complaining with each other and turning on each other, they're not focusing on the war. On the other hand, this would seem to me as a layman to up the chances that something really catastrophic happens because Putin can't play by the normal rules anymore. He has to have a big show of force. And when I say catastrophic, you're talking something of the nuclear in the nuclear realm. Uh, Am I off base there? What do you think? How does this play as far as the battle in Ukraine? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And Lisa was talking a little bit about this too, right? Is what is the impact of this on, on the war in Ukraine, Russia's war in Ukraine. And, and we're, you know, Saturday was the 500th day of the war. And so a lot has kind of been made about that. Um, I, I, I too had, I had thought this would be more disruptive. I think it's a bit more, we are going to have to wait and see. So today's announcement that maybe the Wagner is going to continue to serve the Russian homeland. uh, What does that mean? Is it going to continue to serve in Ukraine? That's the Wagner fighters are actually in Ukraine right now. So if they continue to serve in Ukraine um, and Russia kind of pulls it together, it, it may not impact the war that much. I think if Wagner is really pulled out uh, because they have been more successful, then it could have a bigger impact on Russia's war in Ukraine. It's, it's really hard to tell. Um, I think that uh, that nevertheless, Russia has, since the rebellion, continued the same kinds of tactics that it's already been employing, where it's been sending strikes into cities, even all the way out in Western Ukraine. Um, it's been killing civilians. It's been um, carrying out the same kinds of terrible t- tactics that we've already seen. What, what it's going to look like on the ground, though, is a question, because right now, of course, Zelensky um, announced the counteroffensive was really underway on June 10th. And now um, the forces are looking to get around Bakhmut again. So is there going to be another battle of Bakhmut? Is Wagner going to be involved in that or not? Um, it, are the Ukrainian forces going to be able to retake that territory? That that's a, th- These are a lot of questions that still remain unanswered. I think everyone's been disappointed. Or those of us rooting for Ukraine uh, have been disappointed that the offensive hasn't gone as well, even though knowing how hard it was going to be, and then having some hope that this unrest would unsettle Russian troops. And there hasn't been anything dramatic. But again, I, I think the military folks would tell us that real war isn't what it is in the movies. It's long, it's slow, it's ugly. I am still hopeful it will affect the morale. It will affect the um, amount of resources Because, you know, Putin has to be and the forces have to be looking within each other to say, what is going on? Who isn't loyal, right? How do you then maintain your your fighting force? I mean, it's amazing how easy, right? We have to remember this, that Prigozhin went into Rosanodon and took the military headquarters there. And, And so... I'm not sure what this means for how devoted and and united the officer corps are towards this war and towards the fight, and then the ordinary guys. I mean, I feel so bad for those most of those ordinary guys. But you're absolutely right that Putin can do horrifically brutal things still, and this is, you know, where we would wish that somebody like Xi Jinping would call up his good friend, 
and say, hey, Vlad, you know, this isn't working for you. Um, it's only making you weaker. And let's find a way to get out now. But the scary part is that Putin doesn't care what happens to Ukraine. And he can be as brutal as he wants. Now, will he go nuclear? That one I still think is highly unlikely. I pray I'm just not being naive. Just one last thing I want to say. It is still amazing that, you know, the CIA knew about this, which means the FSB had to know about this. Why didn't it get squelched, crunched, crushed before it could, he could get to Rostov? Like that, that is the giant puzzle. Yeah, and I, I mean, and 13 Russian silversmen were killed. So that's another, I mean, these are people who died at the hands of other Russian forces. It's really- not much is being said about that. I, I, I was thinking about mothers, widows, families, you know, what what should happen for those, those fallen soldiers who were supposedly there just for reconnaissance but then the Wagner people saw them as threats and shot them down. And then I think, what was it, six helicopters and one plane lost, which, you know, I, that might not sound like much, and, and perhaps it isn't, but I, I think Russia needs everything <laughs> at this point. And final question, Melissa, does this just blur even more how this all ends? I mean... It re- we, we've kind of hit, I don't know if stalemate's the word, but just kind of this, where these huge battles are being fought for these small gains. What do you think as far as an end game here? Or is it even blurrier than it was the last few times we've talked about this? It is definitely blurry. I think one thing that remains to be seen, of course, is what's going to happen this week with NATO. Um, Zelensky has been traveling to as many NATO countries as he can. Um, he's also hosted lots of folks, including presidents of, of countries in Africa. Um, he's really trying to gain support. So if he is successful in getting more support, if he is successful in getting better weapons, uh, it could help to perhaps pressure Russia. It could help to maybe change the the, the very slow nature of the war right now, I think. Um, but the, again, a lot of that sort of remains to be seen. So what's going to change this blurry nature? I'm not really sure. I think one thing that I think is going to be really difficult is is the mining. Uh, It's one of the reasons why they have to move so slowly is because the ground is so mined. And then we're going to add, you know, these new weapons that are going to contribute to that. Um, That slows the the ground movement. So if there's, if, if there are fighter jets that come into play, that could change the nature of the slow movement of the war. But otherwise I think, I think it's going to be moving pretty slowly for a while. Yeah. I I mean, I, I think most military analysts, would say that taking territory, the offensive is so much harder. There was hope that there's this political opening, this weakness in morale and um, and leadership. And I don't just mean Putin, I mean within the officer corps, that that could make a difference. I heard another military analyst say uh, last week that the cluster munitions, which Lots of human rights people are horrifically opposed that they're going, but that these would make a huge difference. The Ukrainians don't have enough explosive devices and this will help. So I don't know. I still want to hope that there could be some amazing strategic breakthroughs 
but I think that it's that long slog that we're really looking at. Uh, unless there is some kind of a, a political change. Um, and I, I don't know if perhaps what's happened in Moscow and in Russia in the last two weeks could be the emphasis for that change. Um, we're just gonna have to wait and see. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. <laughs>